Well, this is The New Activist. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a joy to be with all of you today. Our show this week is very, very special. We are coming to you live from the beautiful, lovely campus of Messiah College in Mechanicsburg, PA. Go Falcons, is that a thing we say? Yes, <laughs> yeah, we're into the Falcons, thank you. <laughs> and why are we here? Well, why wouldn't we be here? Uh, we have a great reason. A few months ago, uh, we ran a contest. You may have heard this, and you may remember that people who supported IJM uh, could win in return a chance to bring the new activist to their hometown. Well, Cindy Agoncillo, our friend, sitting right here, front row. We have been Twitter pals for a long time, and she won. Woo! And she happens to be a Messiah grad, class of 2009, and is currently the senior graphic designer here at Messiah. Very big deal, Cindy. Very big, yes. <laughs> so we are here spending time with Cindy. Thank you for letting us invade your space. And speaking of alumni, our guest is Messiah alumni and someone who I have long admired, Mr. Peter Greer, president and CEO of Hope International, a global Christ-centered micro-enterprise development organization that serves in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and Eastern Europe. By way of bio, we will start with the fact that Peter is a husband and a dad. He received his bachelor's from this college, Messiah College, and a master's in public policy from Harvard's Kennedy School. Good job, Smarty. Well done. He is an advocate for the church's role in missions and alleviating extreme poverty. Peter is a speaker. He is at all kinds of conferences. He has written a bunch of books, and he has been featured in Christianity Today, Forbes, CNN, Relevant, and now The New Activist, because I guess... That's the lineup, just the new activist. So, Peter, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, and thanks for coming to Messiah College. Oh, man, it's, so it's good to fun. be here. How'd that intro feel for you? Was that weird, sitting there listening to someone talk about you? I always feel weird when people introduce me. I, I will agree with that. And a little bit <laughs> okay, also weird okay. to have friends here, live audience. This is a lot of fun, but thanks, everyone, for coming oh, as well. I love this, it. Okay, before we get into hope and get into all the real talking points, um, what, tell me about your time here. And I want the juicy stuff, like running through the quad, pulling pranks. Anything fun? Uh, I really this is being up. recorded. Uh, <laughs> That's right. No, no. You, you said right before we started today, there's going to be no, you know, out of the box Nothing. questions. Let's just, just get gonna... into the really embarrassing yeah, stuff. No, Let's start you... off. With, but tell me, what was it like being a student here? You know, I, I will say that this place is a very special place to me. Uh, this place changed my life uh, in in some significant ways, and and I think most significantly, this place changed my life because of the people and the friends. And uh, even here live, there are some friends that I went to school with. There are some friends that I've gotten to know. There are some professors that I have stayed very close friends with since I graduated a long time ago. Yeah. And so this is a special place that really did change my life. Yeah, and I found out that besides being president and CEO of this incredible organization, you also still sometimes come back and teach here. Yeah, I have the privilege of uh, helping with a J-term class called Global Entrepreneurship. So I'm here for three weeks in January. Oh, that's and cool. And it is life-giving uh, to meet the next generation of, of, uh, of entrepreneurs, the next generation of world changers. And uh, that, that's something that gives me great joy uh, to come back here on campus. That is amazing. I love that. All right, Hope International is incredible. You know that. We know that. Um, can you give us sort of the elevator speech of what is Hope International? What do you all do? 
I'm happy to do that, but I, I feel yes. like we didn't do a proper thank you to you oh. uh, for all that you are doing. And I was thinking about you this morning as I, I love thank taking my, my son to breakfast. And uh, so we were having oh, breakfast sweet. and we go to the same place and he orders the same thing, as many pancakes as he can eat. And so while I'm there- How, how do they determine that number? Is they just start with three and keep going? They start by three, but we count in multiples <laughs> of three uh, at this point. And so while we're there, there's a group of individuals that are also there and every Every day they're there, they're the same seats and a wonderful group of people. But there's something that I've noticed is that every day, if you overhear their conversation, they're talking about what's wrong with the world. They're listing the latest issue and they're talking about what's wrong. But the interesting thing is they're still talking about it. And, and I believe that in our world today, we want to stop talking about what's wrong and we want to inspire, to motivate, to equip people that are saying, let's roll up our sleeves and let's do something about it. And I see IJM, I see the New Activist Podcast, mm -hmm. I see you as individuals who are saying, let's go do stuff. Let's yeah. go do stuff. Let's see problems, let's have our eyes open, let's have big hearts, but let's really do stuff that makes a difference. So thank you for equipping me and a lot of us to go and do meaningful work in bringing the hope of Jesus and uh, in many ways ways, making a really significant difference around the world. Peter, so thank you. You are so kind. Thank you. My goodness. Yeah, I, you know, that was, that's one of the things I love about, um, about hope and about hope, well, hope and hope international and just your story and also getting to work with IJM and getting to be a part of the new activist is like at the end of the day, we, we, we got to do something. I used to get goofed on. I was a pastor in a former life and I used to get up during the benediction, and I would be so like riled up that I would just say, all right, go do something, you know? And the worship leader, because you know, worship leaders are always kind of picky about that, was like, hey man, you gotta give them like some specific next steps. I'm like, no, we just gotta go do something, anything. So I am, thank you for saying that. Um, let's talk about the things that Hope International does. <laughs> give me the elevator pitch of Hope. Yeah, sure. So, and, you know, maybe just real quickly to tie it back to, yeah. to here at Messiah College as well, because it was here, I was an international business major, and I just, I loved, I loved entrepreneurship. I love the opportunity to think about creating goods and products and services. And so I was an international business major. And part of that was to travel around uh, Europe and the former Soviet Union and to meet multinational corporation leaders and central bank uh, officials. And, and it really was a life-changing experience. But I had a conversation on that trip with an individual that heard about my interest in business, my interest in entrepreneurship, my interest in missions and living out my faith. And he said, uh, Peter, have you ever heard of microenterprise development. Um, and at that time, I, I, I didn't really hear a whole lot about yeah. uh, that. And he told me about the when Grameen was this? Bank. What year is this? Uh, like, this is mid-90s. Oh, yeah. yeah. So like microfinance, microenterprise was not... We have, that was not a thing yet. Yeah, it was the early kind of years. And, yeah. and today you go and it seems like most people have heard about entrepreneurship and microfinance and savings as, as part of what it takes to alleviate poverty. But at that time, it was a brand new concept. And so I came back, uh, back to Messiah and every single project, every single paper that I could have, I did it on someday my desire to bring together my faith and, and entrepreneurship, job creation to impact global poverty and to equip the church to be the church on the front lines of alleviating global poverty. And I have had the enormous privilege of uh, dedicating my career to jobs and the hope of Jesus and wow. figuring out how to do that effectively in the places where we serve around the world. So started wow. in Cambodia yeah. uh, and then went to Rwanda, spent three years in Rwanda, married my wife uh, in Rwanda, and wow. uh, that continues to be a real special place. And then joined Hope International after Is graduate school. Is she Rwandan? School. 
Uh, no, she is American. She was there as a, a as a teacher. She also oh, is wow. a Falcon oh, as well. So she graduated Falcons. from here, but God saw fit to bring us both to Rwanda, uh, the land of love uh, wow. on that. It's so, like a real destination yeah. wedding. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it was an incredible experience for us to, to start our marriage. And, and she has a heart uh, uh, for justice, a heart for the Lord. And, and uh, I could not do the work that I do if we were not uh, together, uh, truly together in this work as well. Well, but that's like a really huge dream to actually like, like, because basically you're saying like, I was an entrepreneur. I had this idea of like somehow alleviating global poverty. How do you, how do you kind of start taking a step towards, towards doing that? Because that's a, that's a big idea, but practically, how did you, how did you start doing that? Yeah. I mean, mean, so go to school, right? (laughs) You finish school and then what do you do? Yeah, so I, I thought the idea was to look, do my research, do a desk study, figure out all the organizations that are doing it and send them a letter with mm-hmm. my resume and say, I really want to work for you. Yeah. I will do anything. Um, and I didn't hear back from any of the organizations that I applied. Uh, well, no, I, I got one postcard that said, we're going to save your resume in case we have any future job openings which is not what you want to hear. So yeah. I did what everyone dreams about. I moved back home to my parents' basement oh, back love in it. Massachusetts. Love and, but but the, the, I think the one piece of advice I give is if you feel that you have that passion, uh, don't let it die. Uh, don't let it die. Keep on learning the podcast, the book. So I kept learning and eventually heard the president of World Relief give a talk in Boston. Oh. Came up to him afterwards and with as much uh, excitement <laughs> as I could, said, that's what I want to do in my yeah. life. How do I join? Yeah. And he was so gracious. A couple weeks later, I was uh, flown to Chicago and uh, I, I signed my job offer without even knowing where in the world I was going. Right. Remember I signed, you know, they have these questionnaire. Would you be willing to work in places with no water? Yes. Huh. Would you be willing to work in places that are a war zone? Yes. Yeah, of course. Would you be willing to work with like grenades under your pillow? Yes. Like yes. whatever it yeah, takes. Yeah, that was the hope. I'm was, in. Yeah. <laughs> Anything to get out of this basement. That's totally yeah. fine. <laughs> Love my parents, but it's time. <laughs> right, right. It is time. Mom's the sweetest. So it's just incredible. But I, the other thing, you just look back and you see God's timing. You see God's providence. And yeah. it was not the right time immediately after. I needed some more skills. I need some more work experience. And so really that led me to this space, which eventually led me to Hope International, and I am more passionate now than ever about the idea about how do we address global poverty in a way that honors, empowers, and dignifies the people that we're serving and gets out of a mentality that says, just because you're poor doesn't mean you don't have anything to give. Hmm. Just because you are born into a position of poverty does not mean that you don't have gifts, capacities, dreams. And so really behind the work that we do is a belief that God has given everyone the ability to be entrepreneurial, to be creative, to work. And, uh, and, and that informs the way that we approach this issue of global poverty. Wow, so I, I want to I go keep going more on hope, but I do want to talk about, because a lot of people listening to this show are in that stage right now, where they're somewhere between uh, you know, undergrad, realizing like, okay, this is how God is uniquely equipping me and pushing me and getting me excited about going and serving the world and actually doing something. And you had a really kind of a crazy stretch in there that you just walked through. Were there any, ever any times when it was difficult for you, where you felt hopeless about it, where you thought like, actually forget it, I'm just gonna go be an accountant somewhere and make a ton of cash, you know, in the private sector or something like that. Like how, how, cause you seem pretty positive and you like, but what was it like, was there any time when it was hard? Yeah, oh, you know, I think back at that time and there were some moments that were difficult, but 
there have been a lot of moments after that that have been difficult yeah, as well. Right. This is not easy work. And I think mm -hmm. anyone that throws themselves fully into saying, I want to make, I don't want to make myself the center of the story. Yeah. I want to set, spend my life on behalf of others. Anytime you do that, it is not a guarantee mm -hmm. that things are going to go well or be easy. And in some ways you can't step into the pain of others without feeling some of it yourself. And so my heart has been broken. Um, in some ways that was a waiting period that was difficult, but stepping into this work and continuing to do the work, I would say, has been far more difficult in some ways. But I would say for individuals that are in that stage, God's not in the business of wasting time or experiences. And so the first thing is where you are, be all there. There are individuals all around you that you have the opportunity to love and influence. And don't spend your life looking for a future moment and miss the people that God has right around you. And the second thing is there are abilities that you are developing right now that you have no idea how God might use at a future time. Time. So if you are working right now as an accountant, be an expert accountant. Yeah. Be the very best that you can be. Develop relationships. And, and that is just as high and holy a calling as anything else that you could do. So if that's the place that you are, work at it with all your heart. And be excellent. And don't miss the opportunity to continue learning and growing and surround yourself with people that can continue. You can influence them and they can influence you for good. Wow, I love your passion, man. I just I, like I want to save that, and that's like the the what goes off in the morning on the alarm. Like, okay, we can do this. Let's get up and let's start another day. I can use my life. Let's do it. So, can, um, can we give away? I'll be your answering machine <laughs> or your alarm that. on that. You yeah. know, sometimes NPR Re gives that away. I'll, I'll be your right alarm wait, in wait, the morning. Don't tell me to <laughs> record your at home message. I love that. Um, there's a, a lot that sets Hope International apart about how they work because unlike other, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but unlike other microfinance institutions, um, there's a, a different model, or I think more accurately, a more robust model. Can, can we talk through the model of, of how hope works, how you do what you do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting too, because we're an organization that was founded out of a failed charity effort, if you will, that initially it was oh, really? a church in Pennsylvania after the fall of the Soviet Union that went and said, we've got to show up, which is a good oh, first step. Right. I've got to show up and I've got to do something. My faith propels me to run towards people that are in need. And so this group was running towards a time in our world's history after the fall of the Soviet Union that there was an incredible humanitarian crisis. And so as they went, they packed their suitcases with goods, supplies, they built buildings, they gave away clothes, they gave away food, and all of those things were good. But eventually, a pastor in Ukraine, Pastor Petrenko, said, your help isn't helping anymore. And what he realized is that the time for immediate relief was over. And sometimes we look at the world and we see need as as almost always demanding a response, which is, I see people who don't have enough stuff, so let's give stuff away. But it's really interesting. There was a study that the World Bank did, and it asked 60,000 people around the world how you define poverty. And individuals from materially wealthy countries defined it as lack of stuff food, clothing, shelter. Individuals in financial poverty defined it in other terms. They talked about shame. They talked about feeling voiceless. They felt uh, all of these more, more, more relational terms. And so why is that important? It's important because if you keep showing up and taking care of someone else's kids, and you as a dad already feel a sense of shame, it only reminds you that you are incapable to take care of your family. 
If you are feeling voiceless and you have people showing up year after year and telling you what projects you must receive from us because we know best because we have the money and we have the formal education. So we know what you need better than you. That sets up a really unhealthy power differential, doesn't it? It does. And it actually, I, I stated even more strongly, it reinforces poverty. It reinforces the problem that we're trying to solve. And so a very different approach is to say just because people are in poverty does not mean that they are helpless or hopeless. And I, around the world, have been the beneficiary of incredible gifts and hospitality. I have seen talent. I have seen a work ethic that just blows me away. So when I think about the work of hope, it's a different worldview. I was in Burundi last month, and I was meeting individuals there that day laborers. I was watching them as we were having time with our staff. Every day they're working. And the daily wage there was 70 cents. So they're working 12-hour days in construction, 70 cents. How do you provide for your family on that? So in a context like that where you have a work ethic, where you have the God-given gifts and abilities, it's in those contexts that we believe we don't just need another handout. We we need a hand up. And and for us, that means entrepreneurship training, a little bit more curriculum, a little bit more understanding how to start and grow small businesses. It means a savings account so that you can start saving money, take yourself away from from the ledge of disaster. It means access to capital. It means small loans so that you can grow or expand a small business. And for us, the probably the most important differentiator is that as we do what I hope is excellent economic development, that we also do it with a clarity and intentionality about the good news of Jesus Christ being woven into everything that we do. So really, the, the summary is wow. Jesus and jobs. That's right. That is That's what, right. we're, what we're trying to do. That's That hand up instead of not hand out. It's funny that you said that because uh, Guy Adams, who was on the show, a couple of weeks ago and, the, and he was talking about um, he's the CEO of the Appalachian Project and he talks about how they serve people from Appalachia and it's the same exact thing. It's this concept of we're not just you know figuring out how to get storehouses of food and just give it out, give it out, give it out but they are empowering people to go and it really is changing that community and that's, that's the real difference is the development piece, isn't it? Like that's what you guys are doing that's so different. And I think there is a growing awareness among college students, among many, that I'm so thankful. I think the last couple generations was an enlarging of the heart. I think the current generation is engaging the heart and the head and saying, yes, we have compassion, but what does it look like to do meaningful and thoughtful work in whatever is going to, way is going to make the biggest impact possible? And so I'm so thankful for Brian Fickert and Steve Corbett's book, When Helping Hurts. I'm so thankful for Bob Lupton and the yeah. Lupton Center and Toxic Charity. But I think we are now at a point that the question is not, do we know if sometimes our help can hurt? Right. But I think a better question right now at this moment in time is, so let's make sure our helping helps. Yeah. What does it look like to productively turn these desires to combine our heart and our head to say, let's love our neighbor well. Let's love our neighbor with excellence. And this is where Jim Clifton and the Gallup organization has such fascinating data that around the world, what individuals want more than anything else is a job. Mm. And so I, I, I would love to see the church shift its approach to start with a position that says, let's assume there is capacity, yes. but let's assume there is the desire to work. And then let's figure out how to remove those obstacles, both here in the U.S. and around the world, so that we know that a job, it is better than a handout long-term. And let's figure out how employment is our default position, as opposed to just seeing material lack and a redistribution model that makes a difference in a short term, but never really has the long-term empowering impact that we all want to see. Wow. How do you determine what countries or, or, or maybe smaller just cities are ready for development? Because I imagine that there is 
uh, a lot of factors that go into a place prime and ready for this. Is, first of all, is that accurate? And, and if it is, how do you determine where to go? Yeah, so we initially begin by trying to figure out where are the challenging and underserved areas, and then uh, where can we make a significant difference. So it, it literally starts by looking at a couple of high-level numbers. One is the Human Development Index. Hmm. Where is there a disproportionate amount of human suffering? And then the second is the Financial Inclusion Index. Where don't people have access to a simple place to save their money or a simple place to get access to capital? Hmm. And so those places, high need and low service. Uh, and then the third and most important piece is when we show up at a place, we want to see where is God already at work? Where are we receiving invitations in? And, and I get really excited about that. But I can tell you our new yeah. initiative that is just about to launch, well, that, that I am super excited about. But we also now have been approached by other organizations, global, large organizations that already have wonderful work in other sectors. And they've said, we understand the need for employment. Can we partner with you, Hope International? And so it's not going to be anything that will be branded hope, but I believe we're going to have a, a multiplication oh, wow. of impact by now going in and training some other organizations of how to include job creation as part of their outreach in communities around the world. And, and I love that spirit of, of partnership and collaboration. I think there's a new era as well of being open to that sort of, it's not about the brand, uh, it's about what's going to have the greatest impact. And I'm super excited about partnerships that are going to, I think, define the next generation of social entrepreneurs. That speaks a lot to hope because the fact that your brand isn't on it, I mean, you're really open sourcing the model so that it can work and you can support other organizations that are doing it. It says, I mean, it says a lot about the spirit of, of, of the organization and what you're doing. Do you find that that's like, like being the person that is leading it, it sounds like your heart is much more about like, let's just make this happen everywhere. Hopefully it can be hope, but like, it, it sounds like you're really just wanting this model of development to take root in the whole planet. Yeah, I think there's maybe a, a, a simple exercise that kind of frames it, but can you remember the names of your great, great, great grandparents? I cannot, no, I have no I idea. I mean, it, it's, it's rare. And, <laughs> yeah. and so these are your family. Yeah. And this is just a few generations, and yeah. it's very difficult, unless you're a history major here, uh, it's very difficult. And the reality is, we're going to be forgotten. Mm. And I think that is one of the most empowering and freeing truths that we possibly can have, because it frees us from saying, this is about me, to saying, this is about the one thing that will last generation upon generation, and that is Jesus. And so we can get out of the way and say, this is all about making not Hope International, an organization that is here, and I hope it has a wonderful future. Yeah, it indeed. is not about you. It is not about, maybe with podcasts, maybe a little bit longer shelf life for you than for most of us, <laughs> but the reality is we are going to be forgotten. And instead of that being a depressing truth, yeah. it actually frees us up to say, well, then let's maximize the impact. Yeah. And if impact is maximized, when we get out of the way and we can open source everything, then let's do it. Yes. Let's do it because the impact is what is going to matter most. And so I find a wonderful freedom of, of, uh, of remembering this is short. This is short. And, uh, and what is it that we hope really, really lasts? And, and so I just want to make sure that we are thinking through a lens of impact, not through organizational or personal brand or identity. Mm -hmm. That's the second ringtone, right? You will be forgotten. Like, <laughs> throw everybody into your existential morning crisis. Um, so, <laughs> and it, okay, so let's say somebody. Is, get, is that horribly depressing? It's, I, maybe it's I'm not at all. On that. I find no, it actually I think wonderful that in our, freeing. No, no, but I think it's both the, 
I mean, in truth, isn't it sometimes like, it depends on our ego, on where we're at with our ego. And sometimes our ego fluctuates in any given hour. Sometimes you want to feel like, oh, I'm significant and I'm going to do things that we remembered forever. But at the end of the day, that is not about what it's about. It is about allowing yourself to be forgotten and to be able to do the things that have eternal consequences. Yeah, and I think part of this came out of our research in in writing Mission Drift as well, yeah. of realizing how many organizations lose their way because they've forgotten what their primary purpose is. Mm. And anything that is right. personality-driven as opposed to mission-driven, it will rise quickly mm. and it will fall just as fast. Indeed. Uh, and, yeah. So let's say somebody gives $100, gets online, gives $100, and they want to go and help someone track that $100 and tell me what happens and what what you do with it and how it affects someone's life over there, over there, wherever it is. Yeah, yeah. so we do operate in 15 countries. um, And so the model, uh, we we have three different models Mm -hmm. as well. And first of all, I would say thank you to that person that just gave $100. So thank you. I'll come to your house and do a podcast. uh, (laughs) You win. Yes, exactly. So um, so with it, I mean, we're, we're kind of typical this year. You know, 84% goes to program, uh, 16% uh, goes to general administration and overhead. And so uh, of the funds that we raise, we have three different- Pretty impressive though, just to to stop on that point. I mean, that's a pretty low amount of the money that's going, or a high amount of money that is going to the work that you want it to be going to. Like that's, I'm just, well done. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, we are an organization that uh, is about equipping individuals to use finance as well around the world. And I think we should hold ourselves to a pretty high bar of how Indeed. we, so I'm, I'm, this is just something that I'm real proud of, but receiving the highest rating from Charity Navigator now that's 11 awesome. years in a row. So that's something that we do take, we, we take stewardship really seriously and yeah. try to be uh, as wise stewards as we can. Yeah. And then, so we have three different uh, products, if you will. We have three different methodologies. Uh, we have church-based savings groups. And so if the funds are are invested in that. Uh, the way that the funds are used uh, is to equip uh, church-based trainers that go in and train individuals in a methodology that is a grassroots form of economic development, yeah. where they're saving together, they're investing together, and going through five W's of welcome, of worship, of word, doing devotional, of work, where they're saving and investing in each other's businesses, and then a wrap-up. Uh, what are they going to do differently as a result of what they've just learned? And so there, uh, the, the the funds would go to that uh, stipend. Uh, we have 2,500 uh, individuals around the world that are uh, essentially uh, uh, agents of, of Hope International or our partners wow. that go and train uh, churches to implement this model and methodology. So we have about 500,000 individuals now that are being served around the world through that model. And then we have about 400,000 individuals that are served through our, uh, through our next uh, model methodology, the microfinance, and that we're creating loan capital. We're investing loan fund that is lent out in a group uh, solidarity model for individuals to expand existing businesses. So there- Define that group solidarity model. What does that mean? So this is something that Muhammad Yunus uh, is is credited. He won the Nobel Peace Prize uh, for his pioneering work with the Grameen Bank in Bangladesh. And so his model was how do we get capital which seems to be the missing ingredient in 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 capitalism yes. for most of the world. How do we get capital in an efficient and effective model to people that have no assets, have no collateral, have no ability to go and access these services from a formal bank? And so he said, what do they have? They have their relationships. So he initially gave a loan to individuals, but within a group guarantee uh, model so that if we're in a group together and I don't repay my loan, you have said, I will cover that week's payment for 
for you. So it's a model that empowers the community to do the screening, uh, to make sure that everyone has the right business plan and the right idea. And so it allows for us a 98% repayment rate around the world, even though we're not requiring any physical collateral for the vast majority of the people that we serve around the world. So it's a very efficient way of getting capital to people that are aspiring entrepreneurs. And then the third model that we have is uh, the small and medium enterprise. And those are larger uh, job creating enterprises, uh, kingdom businesses, some people call them, but yeah. we're investing in entrepreneurs that are creating jobs in that community with larger investments. So the average uh, cost uh, per person around the world is about $17 uh, when you aggregate uh, all of the individuals that wait, we serve. Wait, so it costs, so we're talking a loan of $17 is uh, to someone is what it takes to basically allow them to start a business or begin like to, to change this, the whole s circumstance of their life. No. So the average yeah, yeah, yeah. loan in terms of the microfinance model is uh, initial loan is about 220. The average loan overall is 450, but a key piece of the model. And one of the things that I love about this is it's self-sufficient. It covers its cost over time so that the money as it's repaid, it not only covers for the local operating costs, but then that loan capital is available to be lent out to someone else. Uh, so we're able to multiply. So I got two C's ever in college. One was microeconomics and the other one was macro. And I have been, <laughs> I have been sweating this interview hardcore and everything you're talking about. So I keep having to rewind and go like, hold on. What's a savings account? No, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, under, I understand. I'm sorry. So you're, this is all making sense now. I yeah, see. So it, it, that's an aggregate number of yeah. what it costs us uh, around it. the world. Yeah. That is still a relatively, I mean, an incredibly small amount of money. I mean, re, I mean on, by American standards for someone's life to be completely transformed. Right. I mean, is, is that, doesn't it seem like, like, shouldn't, maybe this is pie in the sky thinking, but like, shouldn't we just have enough spare cash to be able to just create development on the entire planet? Doesn't it seem like there's just enough that everyone could just be out of poverty? Yeah, you know what, it, <laughs> it, it actually is right? interesting because if you look at what is happening, there's so much bad news that we hear. Yeah. It seems like there's a disproportionate amount of bad news. And thanks for being someone who shares good news of what's happening around the world. But I think one of the most underrepresented uh, stories is that the decline in global poverty right now is at its most accelerated rate in all of human history. In 1981, it was 52% of the world that lived in extreme poverty. By 2005, that number had been cut in half to 26%. Fast forward another 10 years, and it is now just hovering around 12%, last number that I saw. And so we have had this massive decline in global poverty that's happening right now, fastest in human history. And I, if you look at the reason why that's happening, it is because uh, of, of what is happening within, within entrepreneurship, within economies opening up. And I would never claim that there's causality between just what microfinance and microenterprise development is doing. That's a small piece of a bigger story of jobs being created around the world. And, and so I'm really excited to see more of that sort of an approach. And I do believe that within our lifetime, it is possible. It is possible for the first time in human history to say the extreme poverty, the $1.25 per day, uh, that, that, that should no longer be a reality in the world in which we want to live. Tell me what it's like, because you have traveled and seen a lot of the world. What is life like for someone who is living on $1.25 a day? Because I can't really... I think an average person, me included, have a hard time fathoming like 
what that existence is really like? I think for me, the number one word that comes up, uh, it, it, it relates to choice. So when, when you and I uh, wake up, uh, we, we have a choice of what we eat uh, for breakfast. Um, we have a choice for what we do uh, that day. And, and $1.25 means your choice is related to survival. Right now, what do I do to survive? Uh, that, is, that is the goal if you're living in that level. And, and so your choices are not the same. The choices that you are making are not the same. The choice of do I invest in food for today or my child's education? The choice of do I, I've, I've been with a group of women in Haiti that still haunts me, where they were choosing do I not feed my kids anything or do I take uh, dirt, put a little bit of flour, bake it in the sun so at least there's something in my kid's belly. Like that's the sort of choice that I don't think yeah. any parent should make. That's and I have been wrecked uh, by the lack of choice. And the, the other thing, I, 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 again, I know I have a huge respect uh, for IJM and, and it, this is yeah. beyond anti-human trafficking, yeah. what you're doing to awaken all of us and, mm. and certainly with relevant and, and the stories that are being told. But I, I do think about the uh, connection even between choice. So uh, individuals making the choice uh, that you and I will never have to make right. of uh, do I... Uh, do I send one child to work in the quarry? Uh, do I take this loan from someone who I know is going to own me for the rest of my life to take care of this medical need right now? And, and I think that this is where economics matter. Economics oh, can feel yeah. a little bit, but I was with a group in India and, and the ability to have, this sounds really simple, but the ability to have a savings account means that when those disasters happen, you're not making those choices. I was just with a group in, in Burundi yeah. last month, and they told me uh, before our kids used to die from malaria, but they're not dying from malaria anymore. Now, now, why is malaria still a killer today? Medicine exists. Insecticide-treated nets exist. Right. We, we should be able to make more significant progress. But when you're in poverty... You're making an impossible decision when your child gets sick. Uh, you're making a, a a different decision than we would make of whether or not we invest in an insecticide-treated net on that. So poverty is related to so many other ills uh, that we are passionate about. And and uh, again, I, I love the work that so many anti-human trafficking organizations are doing, which is not just about rescue, but about restoration. And if individuals don't have a job, they are susceptible to go back into what they've just been rescued from. Oh, so absolutely. It's the, the connection. It's the, drive, it's the driving factor behind violence right. against the poor is just economic disparity. It's the fact that there's have and have nots and, you know, you know, in terms of economics and that's, that's the cause of the whole problem. That's where it all starts. So what is, how, how does it change when someone, you know, and, and I don't mean to oversimplify, but like gets a sewing machine, begins to be able, I think I saw that like in the video, someone got a sewing machine, he was able to make all, you know, able to start a business. How does it change someone's life? And also, can you speak to how it changes the fact that they are um, like, they're viewed differently in their community. They must take in a different place or a different standing. 
So I feel like I'm going to write your professors and say you shouldn't have gotten a C in micro macroeconomics <laughs> the way you were just talking. That was Thanks. really good. Thanks. Uh, on Thanks, that. <laughs> uh, so the Thank you. professors listening, go back, change that grade. <laughs> Thank you. On that. But yeah, I mean, so again, every story is different and and not every story has that happy ending that, that we all, okay. uh, again, this is hard work um, and, and it's not guaranteed outcomes either because a huge piece depends on what individuals do with the capital. Uh, but I, I was with uh, Severa. Uh, she's a remarkable leader in her community in Rwanda. And uh, she got initial loan uh, to start a peanut business. And she grew her peanut business and uh, initially went from selling it uh, on, on, on the side of the road uh, to then kind of graduating and having a store. Uh, she got into uh, diversification of business. I would have thought she'd get into manufacturing peanut butter as her next, but she got into hardware instead. Awesome. Um, saw an opportunity in her community. Uh, she got into real estate. So and she properties. has the capital now to be able to do this for herself, right? That initial loan led to her being able to start the hardware and real estate. So just like entrepreneurs in the U.S., uh, we want to walk with them for yeah. the long term. So the amount of capital goes up. So she is repays the loan and then has access to a larger amount of investment capital, mm -hmm. uh, faithful with little, and then uh, access more. So mm -hmm. over time, she grew. But the thing that strikes me so much about Severa's story is, yes, yeah, she's an incredible entrepreneur. She's now built a well for her community. Uh, she employs 50 individuals through her different businesses. She allows the poor and vulnerable to go into her fields and to access uh, them, kind of Old Testament uh, type approach. And so yeah. she's an incredible model of generosity. But she also, my wife and I are passionate about uh, everything, adoption and foster care and vulnerable kids. And, and she's taken in eight orphans because wow. uh, she had more economic margin uh, to do it. And she's an inspiration to me uh, when I see that level of generosity, that level of giving back. And so many of the things that for too long in my life, I thought we had to do. Yeah. I thought we had to go and do all of these projects. It misses out on the fact that Severa is already there. Uh, Severa knows the needs locally. And if we can find individuals like that, help them grow their businesses, they become agents of generosity in their community. So my passion is to seek out those type of entrepreneurs and do everything possible to help them be successful and then watch how they give back in their community, how they are impacting the next generation. That is cool. That is incredible because all ships rise. And it's it really is like you start to see all the, I'm just mixing metaphors, but like all the dominoes start to fall, right? And you just, what was an initial investment in her is now the, there's, you'll you'll almost never see the end of the web of what has happened because of of following like because of her and what she was able to do. That's amazing. Okay, tell me about the discipleship part because it is so key to to what you all do. And it just because because I know that there are folks here that may not be familiar with that word. You all define it on the website as through regular interactions with clients, staff members share the gospel, facilitate Bible studies, and invite clients to experience lasting transformation through a relationship with Jesus Christ. First, why is that why is that so central and core to the mission of Hope International? Yeah, so it's certainly woven into our founding story uh, as something that we believe passionately about as uh, we believe it's possible to gain the whole world and yet lose what is most important, uh, lose your soul. Um, and, and so for me, on a more practical level, I think about early on when I was in Rwanda, I was passionate about this tool. I had read about Muhammad Yunus and I believed his promise that if everyone has access to a microloan, that poverty is going to be history. Mm -hmm. Bono said the same thing. And if Bono said it, it must be true oh, yeah. on that as well. Oh, and, totally. And 
And uh, he said, if every woman has access to a microloan. Yeah, it's, yeah. So there, there's, this, there's this wonderful promise. And, and so one of the early individuals that I was able to help uh, through the microfinance work that we were doing had access to a loan. I was one of his clients. He had a gardening business and I was one of his clients. And his income was growing, I know, because I was paying him. Yeah. And I knew he was uh, growing his business. And uh, one day I dropped him off at his home and it was not the picture that I had imagined. Uh, it was not uh, a picture of progress. His kids were in bare feet. It was obvious that they weren't in school. It was still a dilapidated home. And I remember feeling a disconnect between the promise that I had signed up to get into this uh, work with and the reality of what I was seeing and, and went back around Christmas time and uh, saw the same thing. Turns out uh, that he was making more, uh, but he uh, had a gambling addiction. Um, he was spending it on a uh, local brothel, um, and he had a drinking um, problem as well. And so more money, it simply enables what's in our heart. More money allows us to do what it is that we want to do, and it does not necessarily make the world a better place. Uh, in some ways, it can actually be causing more harm. Um, and so I really believe in the power of heart transformation. I believe the best news the world ever has heard, ever will hear, is that Jesus came. Uh, he died, he rose again, and he offers us life to the full. And I believe that transformative message, that crosses across his history, crosses across cultures. And so we are this weird mix of an organization that we believe that. Yeah. And so we serve everyone with Without discrimination, we serve anyone, uh, but we believe passionately that it's not just a job that's not enough to really live life to the full. And so we actively, intentionally love everyone, but we do point people to Jesus as the source of our hope. Yeah, how does that work? I'm curious because, I mean, in a lot of the places that you work, Christianity is not the, the, the predominant religion. I'm sure there are people that are really devout Hindu or Islamic or Buddhist. Like, how do... How does that work practically? Because like you said, they're, they're allowed in the program, right? They're, they're allowed to get loans, right? How does it work in order, like practically what does it look like to be able to share that with them, but at the same time honoring their culture and where they're at? I know that's a nuanced question, but I was just curious yeah. what that looks like on the ground. Yeah, you know, I remember being in a, uh, uh, a region that uh, was, was quite hostile uh, to our faith. And, and uh, I was meeting with some of the village elders and they invited me in and they were pitching on why Hope as a Christian organization should come into their community. It was the most unlikely pitch yeah, right. <laughs> that I was receiving, but they knew the power of capital. They, they knew the reputation of, of who we are and what we do. They knew that this is something that their community would benefit from. And I remember being, being really struck uh, by that, that we are offering good services to all people that will help alleviate poverty by providing access to capital and training so that people can start and expand small businesses. Mm -hmm. That works yeah. across cultures. Right. Uh, that, that, that translates. And then the other, piece uh, that we have uh, as an organization is that when individuals are together, uh, we, we do go through, as I just briefly mentioned, this methodology that starts with prayer. Can we pray uh, for you? Uh, it does talk about this time where we're going to read the stories of Jesus. Let me tell you who this Jesus was. And there's a fascinating book called Tea with Hezbollah, uh, which basically went around the world and asked questions of who is Jesus? And sometimes to get away from some of the cultural uh, dangers uh, uh, and to simply go back to what 
what does it say in the book of John? What are the sto- what who is Jesus? And and so it's very much uh, a model that says let's just read it. Let's read the stories of Jesus and then let's figure out what would it look like to live and apply these teachings. Um, and that's something that we all can live and apply um, on that. Uh, and then also hopefully over time it is the love and care that is uncommon. Uh, we are very different in that our model and mission is not shareholder return, but it's impact in the lives of the people that we serve. And so everything possible uh, is designed to share and show love to the individuals that we serve. And I hope that over time there is a greater openness, and oftentimes it comes in time of great crisis, but oftentimes an openness to say, why in the world are you continuing to show up and love me like that? Mm. People are listening to this, and I, I'm still aware of the the undergrad student who's got this idea, and they're they're preparing, and they're going to start the next great idea, right? Or they're going to be leading at someday the next great Hope International kind of organization. I'm curious what you would tell that person as a leader of an organization, as someone where the the buck stops with you. What has been particularly beautiful or inspirational about the work? Just and what has been uh, surprising or hard about being the person in charge. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the uh, other life giving things that I am a part of is is Praxis PraxisLabs.org. Yeah. Uh, great, great organization. Uh, and for anyone that is interested, entirely recommend that you go check them out. But one of the things that I noticed is that as I was uh, kind of uh, earlier on in, in my career, growing uh, Hope International and doing it in conjunction with a ton of my friends individuals that were so incredibly talented and inspiring and doing great work, families started to fall apart, lives started to fall apart, and there was a disconnect between the great work that they were doing out there and what was happening in their hearts. And and I think this is a, a very real issue for all of us to be to pay close attention to, is in the midst of doing good work, what's happening in our hearts? What's happening in our souls? And, and I believe this is something that we don't pay enough attention to. We celebrate the impact, but do we really look at the health of the teams that we have? Uh, do we look at, are we flourishing in our lives as we try to promote flourishing around the world? Are we flourishing as staff? And so how do we actively and intentionally do that? And I've had a, a, a complete worldview changing uh, uh, kind of from when I began to where I am now about what that practically looks like with myself, with my family, and with my colleagues. Um, and uh, yeah, if anyone is interested, the Laurel calls it my confessional, but uh, the book, <laughs> The Spiritual Danger of yeah. Doing Good, it, it outlines that because I think that slowly over time, we can put ourselves in an elevated position and there is a spiritual danger of doing good that I am really passionate of making making sure that in the midst of doing this good work, how do we make sure that we're allowing the good work to happen in our own hearts as well? Yeah. How many employees are there now at Hope International globally? So we have about 100 in the U.S. We have about 600 full-time Hope employees. Yeah. Uh, and then that's, a through- lot of, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of pre- pressure on a leader. I mean, that, I feel like what you're describing must evolve over time because it's one thing to be like a 10-person scrappy startup. But once you start to break into 100 people, I mean, there's big organizational things that start to happen that that really it must be an evolving process for you to be able to to check your heart and motivations and progress as a leader. This is going to maybe sound a little odd too, but one of the best things that happened to me uh, recently in my kind of leadership journey uh, is I broke my ankle. 
I was <laughs> I played soccer here at Messiah College. Go Falcons. <laughs> Go Falcons. Uh, and and uh, I was having the reunion tour with a bunch of my college no, buddies in the is... over 40 league. And oh, it was glorious. That's sad. It was in, <laughs> in our minds. We were back at uh, Shoemaker Field. Oh, we yeah. were back. Your glory days. Oh, one buddy uh, ended up doing his Achilles uh, second game mm-hmm. individual broke his ribs oh, and I yeah. was third to fall this yeah, is where the were. domino analogy oh, yeah. double compound dislocation uh, multiple fractures of my ankle and I was out and the next day I was supposed to go uh, to kind of Hope's big event season in the fall we have events around the country and I was supposed to be there yeah. and uh, I was in the hospital and um, uh, one of the uh, events classic. One, uh, classic right I mean <laughs> I mean, there's a disconnect between mind and body uh, really funny. At, at some point. But yeah. it was so interesting because one event, uh, an individual texted him and he said, Peter, I love you. Uh, Peter, um, I just want you to know, though, you are not missed. And he talked about uh, the colleague that ended up sharing the hope story. And he said, Peter, that was far more compelling than I've ever heard you do. And I thought <laughs> that is the greatest Thing yeah. I could ever be told because right. in some ways to pop right. the myth of our own importance allows allows a level of empowerment, which is good for the organization. It is good for the mission. It is good for all of us. And so I think to get over the myth of our own importance is one of the most wonderful gifts that we can give ourselves as leaders. Um, and it's also one of the best things that we can give uh, to the organization. One other crazy thing that I do now every year is every January, I give a list uh, to our board of directors of five people that I believe could do my job better than I could do. Um, and Ooh. I've asked for And my, is it a real, I mean, it's a real list, huh? Yeah, like it absolutely it. is. I, I truly believe. Yeah. Wow. And, and, um, and, and so one of the great things is I've, I've asked the board of directors for my last performance review two years after I'm gone. And, and I sure hope I'm not gone anytime real soon because yeah. I still love what I do. Um, but, but I think that's my most important performance appraisal. What happens when we're gone? What happens to the organization? Um, and I, 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 I think that if we have a mission first mentality and view of the world, then we will celebrate when our successors do a better job than we ever did. We will celebrate when individuals go and share the message of hope. Um, And so if you have anyone else from Hope International on, I've got a list of colleagues that I'd love for you to do next time in the podcast because they are amazing and remarkable, passionate individuals. And so I love that about what is best for the mission, what is best for this cause that we have, and to play a, uh, we, we just don't have to be the center of the story. Man, I love it. I'm curious how the show is called The New Activist, and we ask this question every once in a while, but I'm curious about your your answer to this, but how would you define the word activist? Because it's a broad, loaded word. <laughs> People who do stuff for good. <laughs> yeah. Dude, Coming that's back about full as, rad. Let's, as good as it gets, it, right? right? And it's a great answer, friends. <laughs> would you join me in thanking Peter Greer? Well, I am deeply grateful for the work that Hope International as do, is doing and the fact that they are taking a just very practical and thoughtful approach to an extremely difficult global problem. If you would like to learn more about Hope International, and I hope you will, go to the website that you just heard, hopeinternational.org. And if you end up giving, interning, going, changing your whole life, quitting your job, please let us know. Uh, we would love, love, love to see uh, our folks helping Hope International. National. Also, head to Peter K. Greer. Don't forget that K. It's a whole different Peter Greer. Go to PeterKGreer.com to find out more.
more about Peter's writing, follow him on social media. All of it's there. Great um, author. All of the books that he mentioned in an interview are available there. Thoughtful, wonderful blog, as you can imagine. And all of these websites that I'm mentioning will be in the show notes as well. Of course, the conversation that started here will continue over on the New Activist Facebook and Twitter. Both of those handles are New Activist Is, one word, New Activist Is. And I really look forward to being a part of the continuing dialogue that will surely spring from this conversation. A big thanks to The Brilliance, who scored today's episode. I love The Brilliance. Their tour dates, music, merch, etc. can be found on thebrilliancemusic.com. And finally, a huge thank you to the staff and faculty and students and Cindy of Messiah College. I mean, really, what a lovely place. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your campus today. It really was an honor. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Peter Greer, Messiah College, my colleagues at International Justice Mission, as well as the relevant podcast network. I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends. Go Falcons! <laughs> Woo! We did it! Thank you for listening to the New Activist Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. And for more relevant podcast network shows, check out the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com.